You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, episode 10. People get very uncomfortable when we challenge what they have always known to be true. And I know that's true because when I first started learning about this stuff myself, I was so uncomfortable with it because I had also always believed that being fat was unhealthy and that it was a choice and that you could just diet and lose the weight. I had dieted and I lost weight. Like, why can't you? I really believed it was a matter of like willpower and poor choices. That is Rachel Tuckman. Rachel is a licensed mental health counselor with over 10 years of experience. She has worked with many diverse populations and now is in private practice in Cedarhurst, New York. She works with kids, teens, adults, and most importantly for our conversation is a Hayes aligned clinician. So Hayes stands for health at every size, and she dedicates a lot of her time to educating parents and kids on the importance of body respect and the behaviors that truly honor our health. Rachel does a ton of speaking. So for schools and synagogues and various community organizations, she's pretty active on social media. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Just to start out our conversation, I thought it would be a good idea for you to share a little bit more about the work that you do and, you know, inside your practice, outside your practice, so we can establish like where you stand on things. Okay, sure. So I am a health at every size aligned clinician, which we'll talk about more exactly what that is. I'm also, I took Evelyn Triboli's course for intuitive eating to be an intuitive eating certified counselor. So I am someone that very much believes in respecting our bodies at every size, honoring our health at every size, and also redefining what we believe health is. And I've seen the detrimental effects of being obsessed with labeling health as kind of like two very narrow things, the effect that it has on children and the effect that it has on adults. And so I've kind of really dedicated a lot of my work, certainly outside of the office, but inside the office too, to working with people with body image issues and disordered eating, not eating disorders, which we can also get into the difference between those, and really just helping people repair their relationship with food and their bodies and trying to just help people really understand what what health is and attain that in the best way that they can. So that's a lot of my work inside and outside the office. I would say that most of, of my focus of my social media has been kind of on, on that stuff, on the anti-diet and, you know, pro true health kind of paradigm. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of looking at. I'm looking at trying to help people understand that we have been sold a lot of untruths about our bodies and about our health and about our children's bodies and our children's health. And I want people to understand that they don't have to buy into those and that we spend so much of our lives putting so much energy into something that it never happens for us. It's never going to give us what we want. And I would love for people to free up that mental energy, that physical energy, that emotional energy for other things that could bring them real joy and that could really make them happy and healthy. So I kind of fell into it by accident 
I never really intended for this to be like a focus of mine, but once I started learning about it and, and then seeing it in my work, and I think this is important also for any practitioners who are listening, you don't realize how many of your clients come in with disordered eating or possibly eating disorders, even if that's not your work. So many times I have found, and especially now that this is what I do, I could have a client that we're not even dealing with that issue. It's, they came in for fertility related things or for, you know, dealing with their kids or something in their marriage. And I would say probably eight out of 10 times there comes some kind of history with an eating disorder or with some bad relationship with food or some body image related things that are affecting them. So I think clinicians need to realize that you're treating disordered eating and, and body image issues more than you realize. And I think that's very important because we can be doing a lot of harm if we hold, you know, those kind of views about dieting and weight loss. So I think that's kind of why, I, why I'm so passionate about it. Also, just like as a professional for other professionals to know about it so that we're not harming clients. And then just, you know, as a, as a human wanting to help my community and undo a lot of the issues that I think are caused by this obsession with weight. And so that's where I come into this picture. Yeah. And we'll unpack all of that. I think you touched on so many different points that we have to talk about, but maybe before we even get into some of that, let's talk about what you mean when you say something. So you had mentioned health. When yeah. you say health, I'm sure it doesn't mean the same thing as when somebody else in more of like a pop culture says health. So like, what do you mean when right. you say health? So when I say health, I know that when I say health, usually people think like salads and exercise, like that's what we eat and how we move. That's how they think. But when I say health, I'm talking about our mental health, our financial health, our relationships, our quality of living, our access to medical care, our jobs, our spiritual connection, whether or not we experience weight stigma, which means that when we go places to the doctor, let's say if you have pain in your knees, are you right away told to lose weight or are you, you know, prescribed anti-inflammatories and physical therapy, right? Those are two very different treatments and it depends on the body you're in, unfortunately, which recommendation you'll get. So that's weight stigma and a lot more. So when people talk about health, they're really focusing on two tiny factors that contribute to health, what we eat and how we move. And yes, those things can influence our health, but genetics also play a huge role and where we live again, like I said, in our safety and our relationships and so much more that we really actually, some of these things we don't even have control over. So I think it's so important that we kind of get out of that narrow view of like what health is. And we start realizing health is not something you can see. It's internal. And it's also not something that we can always control necessarily. You know, if you, if you have a physical disability, if you're limited, you know, then you can't go to the gym. Does that mean you're not healthy? You know, if you have food sensitivities or allergies and you can't eat certain things or you're, you have to, you know, take certain medications, like, are you not healthy because you have to have toxic medications or whatever? Like we get very elitist and snobby when we talk about health. And I think that we forget that it's not, first of all, people don't have to be healthy. Not everyone can be healthy, you know, in the way that we think. And I think it's really important for us to kind of like step back and redefine it. And I think that's the first step. Yeah. So and also what you're highlighting is that not health is different for every person. So what's healthy for you is not necessarily healthy for me and will probably not be healthy for the next person. Right. Yeah. So I, when people talk about like, you know, talk about certain healthy foods and they're like, this is healthy, that's healthy. I'm always kind of like, well, what if you're allergic to it? Like, that's not healthy. Right. So it's mm -hmm. a completely subjective thing. Health, you know, what's healthy. Like you said, what's healthy for me is not healthy for you. So maybe running is not healthy for me because I have injuries, you know, or I have limitations. So we really have to be so 
careful about how we talk about health. And when we're listening to people preach about it to us, we need to really like be a little bit more of a critical thinker, you know, and say like, mm, I don't know, is this kind of like black and white and like someone's using their experience to give like this universal message about health, which is really what happens on, you know, social media. And someone says, well, this works for me. So this is what it is to be healthy. And I think that we all need to kind of take a step back and say like, that could be true for that person. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be true for me. Exactly. And so a lot of the, the ways that we talk about addressing this, we can even call it a crisis, whatever you want to call it, is we use terms like anti-diet and health at every size and body positivity and what the diet culture is doing. So, you know, sure, they're trendy terms, but when we talk about them, what do you mean? Just so that we have a better sense of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So when we talk about anti-diet, that I think really needs to be super defined because people think that anti-diet means anti-health and anti-diet is pro-health. It's like the complete opposite of anti-health. It's actually the anti the act of restricting food and moralizing food and calories and ignoring your body's cues for hunger all in the, in the name of health, right? So when you're anti-diet, we want to take the focus off of food and we want to kind of recalibrate you to focus on just living and taking care of your health. It's very important for us to remember that whenever you hear things like guilt-free and cheat days and whatever, like that's diet, right? You know, or like, you know, drink water instead of eating that, whatever, that's diet. And that's not a healthy thing, right? That doesn't do anything good for our relationship with food. The only time we should ever feel guilty about eating something is if like you stole it from somebody else, right? Like there's no guilt involved in food. So I think it's important for us to understand anti-diet is not anti-people who diet, it's anti the industry of dieting and diet culture, right? And we'll talk about what diet culture is. But I think it's important also for us to remember, I know there's a lot of like emotion and passion when people talk about anti-diet. So sometimes people feel very attacked. Like, you know, I'm not a bad person for dieting. You're not a bad person for dieting. And anti-diet totally understands, right? Like, yes, we were all there. We have been victims of diet culture, which I'll, you know, explain in a minute. But we don't want to be in that anymore. We want to focus on our well-being rather than our size. And if anything, we have complete empathy and understanding for you. And I think it's important to remember also that when, certainly when I talk about anti-diet, I'm not talking about, I'm not speaking to people who want to diet. If you want to diet, that is completely your choice. And I'm not going to try to convince you not to. I'm speaking to the people who are blaming themselves for not looking the way they think they should when they're on a diet. I'm speaking to the people who are tired of it. I'm speaking to the people who want different for themselves. If you want to continue to diet, that's fine. You can hear my message, but you can also ignore it. So I think that's important to kind of differentiate. We're not trying to convince you to stop dieting. We're speaking to the people who don't want to anymore. And we're saying, yes, there is a way to take care of your body and honor your health that doesn't focus on shrinking it and trying to make it look different. So that's anti-diet. Diet culture... And Christy Harrison in her book, Anti-Diet, I have it here somewhere, defines diet culture. Her definition is the best. So I just want to find it here. She says that diet culture is a system of beliefs that worships thinness and equates it with health and moral virtue, which means that you can spend your life thinking that there's something wrong with you because you don't look like the ideal. Like, why can't I lose weight? Why am I fat? Why am I in this body? I exercise and diet all the time, but like, I can't get that weight off. Right. And then we hear, well, you must've done it wrong. Willpower, calorie restriction right? So really blaming ourselves for how we look and thinking that that we're bad people if we don't look 
the way, you know, we're supposed to from that before and after. It promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, which means that you will spend an enormous amount of time and energy and money trying to shrink your body and thinking that that will make you a better person. And we see this a lot, like totally with wellness influencers, you know, again, with that preachy, like, just do what I do. And like, you're going to feel amazing and you're going to find love and you're going to have health and you're going to get that job you want. And your life is going to be beautiful. A lot of lies were being sold, right? That, that if you're in that bigger body, like that's why your life sucks. And if you want your life to get better, go on a diet, be smaller, be thinner. It demonizes certain ways of eating while elevating others which means that you are ashamed of certain food choices. You're very distracted from things in life because you're constantly focusing on what you can eat or what you can't eat or what's healthy or what's not healthy. And it oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health, which disproportionately hurts marginalized groups and damages physical and mental health. And that's where we talk about weight stigma, where people assume that someone in a bigger body must eat a lot and not move. And so automatically everything is seen from that lens. Well, you probably make bad choices. So that's why you're having, you know, this problem mm-hmm. or that problem. Oh, you haven't, or gotten- you don't care or you're not, or you're lazy. You're not motivated. Slob, right. you know, you don't care about your body. Don't care about how you look. That's why you haven't found anyone. Cause you're just, you're not working out. Like if you lost some weight, somebody would probably want to date you. Right. You know, Oh, you're having back pain. Well, you should probably move more, you know, then your back wouldn't hurt so much. So I think we see a lot of that stuff. And so it doesn't diet culture doesn't just mean being on a diet. You don't have to be on any diet to be caught up in it. You could be someone who doesn't diet, but diet culture permeates every part of our lives. It, permeates what we believe is a good body, what we believe is healthy, what we believe is, you know, the right thing to eat. We don't even realize how much it influences us until we start learning about what it is. And then that's where intuitive eating comes in. And intuitive eating, again, is something that is completely misunderstood. People think that it's, you know, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full diet, right? And like that you're going to like lose weight when you start doing that. So intuitive eating is not a weight loss program. When people say it doesn't work because they didn't lose weight, I'm like, wow, like you really just didn't understand at all what the point of this was. It's on weight loss. You might lose weight when you eat intuitively. You might gain weight when you intuitively eat and you might stay the same. There is no focus on your body in your physical appearance. It is a focus on mind and body in how you feel when you're eating on how on your relationship with food and your health overall. It's composed of 10 principles that have nothing to do with food. I think that's important for people to understand. Also, it's really about healing your relationship with food and learning to trust yourself again. And body trust and body respect are really two main like principles, foundations of intuitive eating. So I think people definitely need to read the book before they start you know, talking about whether intuitive eating works or not. And then the last thing that we want to define is that body positivity. And body positivity is also something that's kind of been taken over by popular culture and social media, you know, people think it's all about like, just love your body. And like, no matter what, like, don't care what anyone says. And body positivity is actually a movement that was started by black, queer and Jewish women. Jewish women really don't get any credit for it, but there were actually Jewish women involved in the movement. And it says that all people deserve to have a positive body image, regardless of what the ideal is in society. So you're allowed to feel good about yourself, no matter who you're seeing on a billboard or in magazines or whatever it is. And so some of the goals of the movement are to challenge how society views the body, right? And we talk about that all the time. We'll share bigger bodies. And I see it is happening now 
where certain brands and companies are starting to use more diverse bodies to say like, hey, like we recognize that different shapes and sizes exist. So it's really challenging how society views the body, promoting acceptance of all bodies and helping people build confidence and acceptance of their own bodies and addressing unrealistic body standards too. So it's really a movement to help challenge what we believe is like beautiful and acceptable. And I think that's very important for us to remember that it's about just respect for everyone. It's not about like love your skin, love whatever. That is that is a very small part and it's wonderful, but body positivity is really about respect. I love that distinction because it, maybe it's not realistic for somebody to say, I'm going to love my body, but at least I can respect it. Yes. And I think that should always be the goal. It doesn't, you have, you don't have to love the skin you're in because I mean, let's be real, like, and maybe this isn't true for everyone, but for the majority of the people that I work with, they're never happy in the skin they're in. And by the way, even let's say once you get to the point where maybe you are finally, then something happens in life where something changes, like you have a baby or a pandemic or you're aging or hormones or menopause, like we're never going to stay the same. So it's really important for us to just to focus not so much on like, I need to love how I feel and be confident every day. Body image is this. You know, it's that no matter how I'm feeling about my body, I'm always going to respect it and take care of it, you know, which is why you have to start doing some sort of work on yourself wherever you're at. So waiting until you got to a certain point point in order to work on yourself or I love this one. When I'm pregnant, I won't have these thoughts about my body, you know, because I'll be carrying a child that's, you know, never happens. Waiting until the next stage is not going to fix it. Yeah, never. we, We never get there. And then I think if anything, sometimes we look back and we're like, why didn't I appreciate it then? Like what? I was so distracted, like hating myself. And, you know, and so I think it's really important for us to say, like, I'll probably never be a hundred percent truly like comfortable, happy at the, whatever it is in my skin. So I'm just going to stop focusing so much on like how I want to look and I'm going to focus on how I want to feel. And again, people think body image is related to like, oh, when I lose weight, I'm going to feel better. But the reality is body image is all mental and really has nothing to do with physical. And so yeah, that's- and one thing that you said about that really clicked because when you continue to focus on your body and say, I love my body, it's the best, we're just having the body as the focus, which is not the goal. The goal is that it's the least interesting part of you and it does serve a function, obviously. We live in our bodies. It's really, I mean, it's our source of life, but that's about it. Yeah. And I think also people tend to be very black and white. And I think this is a result of social media where nuance is completely gone. But people say like, well, if I'm not focusing on my body, like, shouldn't I care how I look? And I shouldn't, I just shouldn't take care of myself. And we're saying, no, that's not at all. (laughs) If you're not focusing on your body, then you just look like a garbage dump, you know, like not at all, but you're coming from a place of caring about yourself and honoring yourself from just love and respect, not trying to change, not being unhappy and saying, I'm not good enough. And I, and I need to look different. It's saying, this is the body I'm in right now. And I'm going to love and respect it today. So yeah, I'm going to do my hair and I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to take care of my skin and I'm going to shower and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to eat in a way that feels good in my body. And I'm going to honor my health. I'm not going to be obsessed with being smaller. That's a very different thing. Being obsessed with being smaller or hating your body is not the opposite of that is not, not caring, right? It's actually totally caring to say like, I'm going to stop chasing this dream that like, I never seem to get to, and I'm always miserable trying to get there. And I'm actually just going to like work with what I have right now, you know? 
I think that's important for people to understand. You know, it's not like if I if I'm not dieting, then I'm like this like dumpster, ugly troll under the bridge. Like not at all. You know, but again, that's diet culture, right? If you're not exactly. trying to be thin, then you must not care about your appearance and how you look. And it's like, wow, like there we go right there. Yeah, um, which kind of leads to a question, which is much more general. We've been talking about it up until now, but maybe breaking it down. This is mostly in your experience. How has society, and I guess that's a pretty general term, but how has society contributed to people's poor body image and disordered eating? You know, I guess, I guess more in general first. Right. So, I mean, we can see like throughout the decades, how like society decides for us, what is the body ideal? What's beautiful, right? There's societal standards of beauty. So where it used to be in the fifties, a woman could be in a bigger size or bigger size, right? So like a Marilyn Monroe, who I think they say was a size 12 or 14. Some people say she was a size 10, whatever it was. She was more of like a regular, typical woman, right? And she was considered beautiful. And then as we like kind of moved on to like the eighties, it became like a completely different look. It became, well, it was more the nineties, but that Kate Moss, like super skinny, right? Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels like no curves, bones, that look, you know, and then we move on again. And now we see like the beauty standards are like this completely unrealistic, surgically enhanced Photoshop, so much Photoshop standard of beauty. And so we know that society decides for us what they think is beautiful. So it used to be, you used to be fuller figured, you were beautiful. Then it was like, you had to look like you had no shape, no curves, nothing like zero to you. And that was beautiful. And then it was like, you know, an athletic body in between there, right. was like, you know, that was beautiful to be like looking fit. And now it's like, you have to have these impossibly unrealistic curves. So like a huge butt, but not too huge. Right. And no cellulite and no stretch marks. And like, impossibly huge boobs, but like it has to be natural looking and, you know, and, and flawless skin and a chiseled jaw and, and freckles are good now, but like for a while they weren't, and we're constantly being bombarded. It's always changing. Right. And that's why I say also, like, if you're always trying to like meet that standard, you're setting yourself up for a life of misery because we can't keep up with it. It keeps changing, you know? So society decides for us what they think is beautiful. I'm not even sure where the trends come from. I should really read more about it. Like, I don't know how it, how it comes to be that that becomes the standard, like who decides, but we know that there's a huge influence from social media and from Hollywood and from, you know, celebrities. And it's really something that impacts our well-being. And, and that's why I think it's so important for us to say like, I'm not going to look online to figure out like what's beautiful. Like I'm going to look around me and I'm going to say like, what do I think is important? What do I think is beautiful? Is it someone's like white teeth and beautiful hair and chiseled jaw, or is it how they treat their friends and who they are as a human and the things they do in the world and how they make me feel and you know, the messages that they put out there in the world and how they make other people feel about their bodies and, you know, what they're, what they're bringing to the world. Like, I think we need to redefine what beauty is. And I think we also need to understand that beauty is something that's totally subjective, right? And there's no standard, right? We've been led to believe that there's a standard because it's upheld and because it's, you know, it's, you know, celebrated all the time. But I think that we can just say like, I can reject those standards. And I can say like, I get that right now. We think that, you know, this look is like beautiful, these like eyes and jaw and lips and nose and a certain shape, but I don't have to accept that. And there's even like social media accounts. It's so disturbing. And I don't know if you've seen these that like, they'll take like Disney princesses and they'll like Photoshop their faces to match like the beauty standard now. 
So like, oh, yes. Right. It's like kind of wacky. (laughs) Weird, you know, and they do it also to celebrities. Even they'll take celebrity pictures and then they'll like Photoshop them to like have all the, you know, facial features that like we are told right now are beautiful. And they're like beautiful celebrities, like objectively, they're like so beautiful. Like, why are you Photoshopping them and making them look different? Why are you making their lips bigger and their nose thinner? And they're like, what are we, you know, and, and making their skin look different? We really live in a culture that is like very visual right now because of social media and, and, you know, digital media, and we're obsessed with it. And it's in front of us all the time. So I think that really impacts how we feel and what we believe. And again, even if we're not conscious, it gets into our psyche. And I think that's important for people to realize that you're only looking at a certain body on your social media, it's going to influence how you feel. And that's why I always say, please diversify your feed follow people who look different than you, who are bigger than you, who have different skin color, different hair color, even different thought processes than you. Like it's really important because when we stick ourselves in these bubbles, it influences us more than we realize. Yeah. It was, it's reminded me of over the summer, I went swimming a couple of times and I noticed the difference, how I felt when there were one, when there was one type of body there. So like the typical thin ideal sort of person versus there was all different types of bodies at the pool. And I just felt so much more comfortable because it was diverse. Yes. Yeah. I've also noticed that by the way, when I go to the beach, I always like, I'll look around and I'm like, it's really amazing how like everybody here looks so different. And, and yeah, it does like help me how I'm feeling in that moment where I'm kind of like, okay, like it's so true that there are so many different types of bodies. There are bigger, smaller, taller, shorter, different skin textures, different skin tech. And it's just like, I think that when we're, it happens to be that my, my feed is very diverse. So I don't see one body type always, but again, because I'm human, I have those days. And sometimes when I go out in public and I'm at the beach, I'm kind of reminded like, yes, like this is, this is how we are supposed to be. We all look different and we're not all supposed to look the same and we can all feel comfortable in our skin. And also at the end of the day, and I all, I tell this to people who feel very self-conscious. I always say like, you know, Mark Manson, he's a, an author. Um, he's he wrote great. a famous book. Yeah. He always says like, nobody's thinking about you. Everyone's thinking yeah. about themselves. And it's true. We're all focusing on ourselves. We're all feeling self-conscious about ourselves. We're all worrying if someone's judging us. We're not busy judging other people most of the time, right? We're fearing the judgment that we're getting. So I think that's important too, when we're feeling self-conscious in our skin to remember, chances are some someone else is so focused on themselves that they're not focused on you. So I think that's exactly. really important. Yeah. You were talking about social media, but so I, I, I want to go into this a little bit more. You have a big social media presence and I'm sure you got a lot of hate mail for that. Hopefully a lot of support, but I think this is, you know, just wanted to ask you because this is completely anecdotal. So your experience of social media and what you see happening there, how it's exacerbated all of this stuff that we're talking about, maybe directly in um, what's the word I'm looking for in contrast to real life. So when people interact in real life versus social media. So, okay. So thankfully I really don't get a lot of hate mail. I don't know why, you know, because oh, that's cool. Not what I expected. <laughs> I know. I'm always like wondering like, why don't I get more really negative, horrible messages happens to be, I have super strong boundaries on social media in general. And I also have a lot of like settings that I made that actually just discovered this other day that I have like a whole other file of messages that I never even knew that I got literally hundreds of messages that I hadn't seen for like two years, almost that Instagram kind of filtered from people that don't follow me and that I, that I don't interact with. So there, there are settings 
for everyone to know about, by the way, on Instagram, that you can really like protect yourself from being harassed or bullied. I don't use hashtags. So that really draws a lot of attention, you know, keeps attention away from my account, which like I some people want attention and want like tons of followers. I'm kind of like, I just want whoever wants to be here to be here. So you tell your friends about me. I don't want to be a celebrity. I don't want hundreds of thousands of followers. Like I'm not, I don't have the capacity emotionally or just in terms of time to deal with that. So thankfully I really don't get a lot of hate mail. I do get resistance occasionally when I post things about, you know, being anti-diet and health at every size. Sometimes I'll get though, you're promoting obesity line, right? Which I'm kind of like, you can't promote obesity. Like it's just not possible. There's no way that anything I'm posting, someone looks and they're like, Hey, you know what? Like I'm going to become obese tomorrow. Like it just doesn't work that way. (laughs) So I think that people get very uncomfortable when we challenge what they have always known to be true. And I know that's true because when I first started learning about this stuff myself, I was so uncomfortable with it because I had also always believed that being fat was unhealthy and that it was a choice and that you could just diet and lose the weight. I had dieted and I lost weight. Like, why can't you? I really believed it was a matter of like willpower and poor choices. And I judged friends and family members totally. And So for me, like learning about this stuff, and that's why I say it's so important to listen to diverse voices, like even if it makes you uncomfortable, not if it makes you mad, but if it makes you uncomfortable to just listen and learn, you know, and that's what I did. I was following, I think it was Tiffany Rowe was the first therapist I started following who was talking about it. And I was like, my mind was like blown. I'm like, what is she talking? Mm. How could this be true? And then she, you know, would share other accounts and I started following them and listening to them. And Over the course of, it's been almost three years now, I started reading a lot of the research. I bought tons. I have stacks and stacks of books that I, that I read. I took a lot of courses and I really, it just blew my mind how I had been like duped all these years. And just in terms of my clinical work, how I was really doing a disservice to my clients by like believing this stuff, you know, thankfully I never advised any clients to go on a diet, but I definitely like felt like that might be like at the core of some of their issues, like their bodies. And, you know, that in my head thinking, like if their body was different, maybe they'd be happier. So it really changed like my way of thinking. So I think that we need to kind of remember on social media, there's this, and I had said this earlier, there's this like push to think like my way or the highway, right? It's very binary, like black and white, like all this or all that. And if you, if you like share a post from someone who like, doesn't think the same way that you do, they're like right away. Sometimes I'll get a message. Oh, you know that they once said this or that. And I'm like, I can like an idea that they have, even if I don't agree with everything they say, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. I think we have, we've kind of like really restricted ourselves which is interesting, right? Because dieting is all about restriction and, and thinking only one way and in a box, right? And that's really what dieting is also, by the way, a black and white thinking. And that's why when I say reject dieting, people are like, well, if you're not dieting, you're going to be humongous. And I'm kind of like, again, the opposite of dieting is not binging, right? The opposite of dieting is just like living without food rules. And sometimes it does lead to binging because when you restrict that long, you're binging. But I think it's important for people in general, again, to get out of that black and white thinking, to open their minds. And when someone says something you don't like, get curious. Doesn't mean you have to message them and fight with them. And that's again, something like I don't fight with people online. So if people message me to argue, 
most of the time, unless I'm having a bad day, <laughs> I don't <laughs> respond. I'll just say like, you know, either I'll ignore it or I'll say, you know, you don't have to like what I post. You can unfollow me or you can just ignore what I said. Like nobody has to agree with me. I'm not there to try to convince anybody of anything. I'm there to share my thoughts. And if they resonate, great. And if they don't, you know, that's okay too. And I think it's important for people on social media to understand that. Like, you don't have to make someone think the same way that you do. And you don't have to like prove to them why, why they're wrong or, you know, why they, you don't have to tell them they shouldn't be saying something on their platform. I, I did have someone tell me that the other day, like you shouldn't use your platform for X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I'm sorry. Thanks like for the advice, my name on the page, like literally yeah. <laughs> Rachel Tuckman decides what Rachel Tuckman uses her platform for. So don't police people. But again, I think that that social media can be so wonderful but sometimes it's like so terrible because people really believe that they're like entitled to, to tell you what to say and what to think. And that if they don't like what you say, they can try to like shut you up or, you know, be disrespectful or argue. And, and like I said, thank God, I really don't get that very often. And, and I'm so glad I don't. Cause I, I don't, I wouldn't be on Instagram. Honestly, I think if I had to deal with the negativity that I, that I know people deal with, I don't have like the kishkas for it. You know, I'm, I'm like, no, thank you. I don't have time for this. So I would really be off of it. So I haven't experienced a lot of negativity, but I think people need to just be more open to diverse opinions and yeah. And also to think about if, it, if I feel defensive or I feel upset or angry at something that somebody said, the first thing to do, which is obviously so hard, but the first thing to do is, well, what sort of buttons is it pushing? Why am I getting upset? Because chances are they're saying something that resonates that I know maybe deep down is true. And I should probably look at what I'm thinking as opposed to what they're saying. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is when, you know, when people when I talk about like unconditional permission to eat, you know, and, and not having to diet, I always, you know, when people get mad about me saying that I always kind of, you know, I don't, again, I don't say this to them because I don't engage in a debate with them, but I always want people to think about like, what is it about that? That feels so scary for you. Like, are you mad that someone's giving unconditional permission because you don't trust yourself? You know, is that something that's like, crazy for you because like, why should someone else be able to have a donut if you can't have a donut? And that's usually where that comes from, like judging people for what they're eating or, or whatever it is usually comes from a place of like, like, I wish I could have that freedom, or I wish I didn't feel so like that. I didn't trust myself. So restricted, so policed, so whatever it is. And that's what, again, that's why I think also when people are like, oh, you know, they're not going to diet, then they're just going to binge. I'm like, wow. Like, I think you're just speaking from your own experience because dieting maybe for you keeps you in check, right? Because you tell yourself you cannot have something or it's bad for you, you know, but when someone kind of gives themselves permission and says, you know what, like, I'm not going to tell myself that sometimes then that food doesn't feel so enticing for them anymore. And like, they're okay with it and they're safe and, and they're not obsessed with it and thinking about it all the time. So I think people need to really just check, check in with themselves on social media. Always, you know, like, how am I feeling when this person's saying this? Like, I want, I want to be angry at them for what they're saying, but like, is it them or is it something that I, that I'm experiencing as a result? You know, there's not enough of that on social media. So yeah. I have a separate question. I mean, it's 
pretty connected, but I don't know if this has been your experience, but the inquiries that are coming in are younger and younger. So, so many, I mean, unfortunately, so many 12 year olds for whether it's eating disorders, disordered eating, poor body image, and really any sort of mental health struggle. And I wonder if you see anything from your experience about how this has happened, how we're, you know, really affecting these younger kids so much earlier on. So there was actually just this article that I think the Wall Street Journal published that was talking about how they find that and link it in the show notes. Yeah. um, How they were talking about how they found that Instagram is toxic for teen girls. And the statistics were something like like 32 percent of girls. I think it was something like that said that they felt bad after they used Instagram. And they and this article just goes through like all of this research, the studies that they found about how Instagram and Facebook is affecting their young users. Um, And they they repeatedly found over and over again that Instagram was harmful for a sizable percentage of teenage girls. And they they were like putting money into advertising and all kinds of like toxic stuff that were just making girls specifically girls, young girls feel bad about themselves. And then they, they interviewed a a therapist in the article. I'm pretty sure she works like an eating disorder clinic. And she was saying that so many of her patients were saying that social media apps played a role in their eating disorder. And so this article is basically uncovering how, and I, and this needs to happen, but how social media platforms need to be held accountable for the damage that they're causing, you know? And so we are seeing it in kids as young as eight, seven, 12, 13, like girls are obsessing about what they can and can't eat, whether or not they should be smaller. We also see it in young kids, right? Because even in shows like Peppa Pig, right? There's like real like fat phobia and weight stigma, right? How they talk about daddy pig, about his big tummy and he can't do anything because he's so big. Like right there, that's like weight stigma that we're teaching to young children, right? A fat person can't move because he's so big. And they like joke about it all the time. And they also paint daddy pig as like this total buffoon. He's like this moron, right? Again, and and I think that they're like kind of tying in his weight and his level of intelligence. So from a very young age already, kids are learning that people in bigger bodies have these like faulty character traits. You know, even think about when we were kids, Winnie the Pooh, right? He was like this chubby bear, mm-hmm. he gets stuck in the tree and he, you know, like, so very early on, we're being introduced to these ideas and it affects us, you know? And so, yeah, we're seeing girls. I remember I had a, I once had a girl in my office, she was 13. She didn't want to take her medication because she was scared. She had anxiety and she didn't want to take her medication that she was prescribed. She had really crippling anxiety because she was scared to gain weight. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like that was so upsetting to me that she was like, she needed it. She really could not function. It was, it was horrible, but she's like, but I don't want to gain weight. So like, I don't want to take it. So this might be a loaded question, especially towards the end of the conversation, but what do, what do we do about that? So I think that it's so important for us as parents. And even if you're not a parent for just us as humans to really start learning about diet culture, to learn about the things that we're talking about here today, to see how it impacts you and your thinking on an individual level. So if you are a parent to look at like what comes into your house, how you speak about bodies and health, how you speak about your own body and health, how, what your relationship is with movement, what your relationship is with food. So even now, as we're coming up to two weeks of like a lot of holidays and like for Jews, holidays are really all about eating. Like that's what we do, right? We celebrate, we eat, and that's an amazing thing. 
But there's so much of that either before or after. Oh my God, so much food. I need to go on a diet. I can't, I can't eat this. Oh, I was so good. I didn't have, oh, tonight I'm not eating because this morning I had tons. Really being so mindful of how you're speaking about food in your home, about how you're speaking about what you do after a long holiday of a lot of eating. Are you saying, oh, I need to go to the gym because I ate like a pig this, you know, these past eight days? Are you saying I need to go to the gym because I like how it makes me feel? I love being at the gym. It's fun to move my body. Some days I don't feel like going, but I know it's good for my health, right? Like what are, how are we speaking about movement, food, our own bodies, looking at the books that come into your home, the TV shows that you watch. And again, it doesn't mean your kids shouldn't watch Peppa Pig or shouldn't watch whatever it is. But when you hear lines like that, like have your kid think about it. Look at how they talk about daddy pig. Like, why do they say that about him? You know, what, is that okay? How they talk to him, just challenging it in general and getting them to think. So I think that's important. And then again, like for you on your social media to diversify your feeds, to get used to seeing different bodies so that you can become used to it yourself. And so that it can be an authentic message that you give over to your kids or, you know, whoever it is and changing the conversation. It's really hard. You know, it is hard because I know when I started like kind of getting out of that diet world, I found that it was very hard in social settings because like, that's all anybody talks about men and women, by the way, men talk Mm -hmm. about it constantly. And so both my husband and I were like, like we literally had nothing to talk about at, at like meals and get togethers with friends. We were like, okay, like date night, just us two here. Like we have nothing to do <laughs> the conversation, but then we learned to like change the subject, you know, change the subject. Sometimes you can sit out the conversation if it keeps going back to it, but you can always change the subject. And I think that's important. And then kind of, you know, if you have family members who are obsessed with it, and again, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself and you can set boundaries about what discussions you'll have in your home, what comments are okay. So if you have family members that are always talking about it or talking about your kids and how they eat, you can just say like, hey, like we're trying, we're really trying to keep the focus off of bodies. We don't comment on what our kids eat. Like we just trust them to, you know, do what's best. And we're trying to keep it like really, you know, neutral and and healthy here. So I think that's important. It starts with us that we have to do the work ourselves in order to kind of make a change out there in the bigger world. And that's why for me, like, I really didn't start talking about it until I felt like I truly understood it and that I felt it. And then I didn't even bring it into my home right away until I was really like on board with it. And so I think that's important for us to kind of start doing the work ourselves. And you don't have to be hundred percent there. Like that was my thinking, but to start and say, Hey guys, I'm learning about this now. And like, it's really like, it's blowing my mind how like, I've really been thinking in a way that's been so not healthy and I want to start changing that. So like, let's do this together. And I think that that's how we, how we start. So if somebody is, let's say in the beginning of their journey, they want to learn more, they want to diversify their feed on social media. What are some resources that are your favorite to start with? Um, It could be books, social media pages, podcasts. I mean, like anything that stands out to you that I know you have tons, but. Yes. I would say like the, the first like books to read are like, these are kind of like my go-to recommendations are intuitive eating by Evelyn Triboli and Annalise Reich. Reich, Very like, those are like, that's the foundational book from there. I would go to health at every size and body respect by Linda Bacon. Those two books are like really also those really for me challenged everything because she brings so much of the research and evidence like and and you can look up the papers yourself, which is what I did. Like I took all of her, you know, all the evidence she she brought in the book and I printed out all the papers and I read them myself. And 
there's really like very little arguing you could do when you read the science. Anti-Diet is a great book by Christy Harrison. Also really like, and these books are easy to read. They're not sciencey and like difficult. They're really for the layman. So that's, that's a really good one also. There's a new one out by Dr. Joshua Woolrich, Food is Not Medicine. It's a great one. Yeah, very easy to read also. Like you could read it literally in a Friday night. Just like simple and very like, you know, easy to understand. And, you know, again, no like different difficult medical language, just like so easy for you to understand. And actually a great one to read if you want to understand, like just build empathy and understand what it's like to be in a fat body. There's a book by, I think her name is Aubrey Gordon, your fat friends on Instagram. It's called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. And it's, I'm going to show it to you, even though this is not, you know, yeah, I'll link to all of this in the show notes so people can um, get some resources. An amazing book. It is, it's like sad. It really was heartbreaking to read her story of what it's like to be in a big body. And if you are someone who's never been in a bigger body and you've never experienced wheat stigma or fat phobia, I think it is so important to listen to people in bigger bodies and hear their stories and understand what they go through. Because I think that in itself, I think is, is so powerful to help us learn to change because whatever it is, you know, if you're in a thin body and you don't like yourself and whatever, at the end of the day, like it's not really going to impact your life in the long term. It won't impact your health. But when you're in a bigger body and you don't like yourself, it does impact your health and it could literally kill you because we hear stories of people who had severe illnesses and were told by doctors, oh, just lose weight or, you know, go on a diet. And it turned out that, you know, they were having a stroke or a heart attack or cancer or, you know, so I think it's so important for us to hear their voices and to listen and to advocate for them because, you know, people don't listen. And I know, by the way, also that my message is more palatable because I'm like in an acceptable body. So nobody tells me, oh, Rachel, you're, you're just saying this because you want to stay fat, which people say to people in bigger bodies who talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do have a little bit of guilt knowing that like, I have this privilege of like having people listen to me and take me seriously because I'm not like difficult for them to like take in. They don't think I'm just trying to like, you know, make an excuse to be like fat and lazy. And I think that it's so important to understand like this message is, is important to hear from every kind of body and that there are so many layers to this. It's not just about like your health and, and feeling good and rejecting diet culture. It's also literally about like saving people's lives and changing the medical system and treating people with respect and giving them equal access to, to care. And that the recommendations in a doctor's office for a thin person person should be the same for a fat person. So I think that's really important that we need to start like reading and, and following, you know, people like you and me and, and the, accounts that we follow on social media where people will really open your minds. And I, I really haven't found anyone that doesn't present like evidence when they make a claim also. So I think that's important. Like they're not just throwing something out there and saying like, Hey, you know, this is my opinion. It's really based on research and facts and clinical work and scientific research. So I think it's important for people to just start like being willing to learn. Yeah. And I mean, if there's a more extensive list, I can just put all of that in the show notes. We're not going to list like all the social media accounts right now. Cause I think there, there are so many that are so, really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I mean, all of your words are so, so important and I can talk to you all day, but before I let you go, can you just share where people can find you? 
So you can find me on social media at Rachel Tuckman LMHC. Also on my website, racheltuckman.com. A lot of my content from Instagram is on my website with some blog posts I've done. I'll also have some upcoming courses that will be available on my website, hopefully. Soon. Oh, that's exciting. If I ever get around to it, but that's where you can find me. I'm in my office in the five towns. I'm not accepting new clients now, but it's always kind of rolling. So you can always get in touch with me and see if there's an opening, but social media is really the place to find, you know, if you want to hear what's on my mind and see what I'm sharing and thinking about, that's where to find me. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right. Talk next time.